Welcome to another episode of Do Loss. I am Levi Bimba, and on today's episode, we are going to talk about the problem with biblical fundamentalism. So this will be a two-part episode. So this uh, will span today and tomorrow, Lord willing. And so um, you'll see them come out uh, as part one and part two. So the fight for the word of God has been going on since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and the devil came and undermined the authority of the word of God by deceiving Eve into taking the fruit and Adam eating it knowingly. Um, we now see what has happened today and where we are today. The fall of man started with the undermining of the authority of the word of God. We see that in Genesis 3 and also we see in the Old Testament that undermining that um, that uh, temptation to trust external sources of revelation rather than trusting the perfect, holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. And we see that in the, in the Old Testament under the false prophets that came along, namely Balaam, excuse me, namely Balaam in Numbers 22 to 25, as well as the false prophets of, uh, of the time of Jehoshaphat and the king of, of Judah within uh, Israel. Uh, and the king of Judah and Israel, uh, one of them, Jehoshaphat. And they also had, I think it was about 400 prophets that set themselves up over against the true one prophet of God uh, as the authority within Israel at that time. And so this fight has been raging since the beginning of time, all throughout human history, all throughout even up to and past the Reformation time, where we had men like Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and John Knox and Wycliffe, all these men who are trying to recover a biblical-centered uh, position on authority, which was found only which, to be found only in the Word of God, and so <clears throat> this fight has never has never gone away since since Adam and Eve fell. I think this battle will continue to go on until Jesus comes back and establishes his his eternal kingdom on earth. And this is why we need to be in the fight for biblical authority in every area of our lives and be willing and ready and knowledgeable enough to be, to be able to defend the attacks that come against our position as uh, biblical fundamentalists, as you could say, because we actually believe that the word of God is sufficient, is powerful enough to save, and is powerful enough and sufficient enough to keep you saved and keep you knowledgeable in, in, in the knowledge of Christ and, and, and in the knowledge of his world and of his kingdom and, and order and to give you the necessity to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so 35 years ago, about 35 years ago, there was this national conference of Catholic bishops that came together and they had a specific committee to, to study biblical fundamentalism. And they had a pastoral statement that came out from this committee uh, back in 1987, March 26th. And so the spearhead of this uh, committee was Arch of this committee with Archbishop John Whelan. And uh, there's a quote from him, uh, from another guy who wrote a paper discussing this conference, discussing this ad hoc committee. And this is what uh, John Whelan said. He says, um, their love of the Bible, their spirit, talking about biblical fundamentalism, a biblical fundamentalist, he says, their love of the Bible, their spirit of warmth and friendliness, their care for other members of the congregation, their dedication to Jesus Christ, their moral standards, their missionary outreach. He says these are all good things that are in the biblical fundamentalist movement. And I hopefully, you know, I hope that is true of all of us who claim to have the Bible as our authority, that we are 
hoping to have a life that is full of warmth of friendliness, of uh, adherence to moral standards and of missionary outreach, and of course, dedication to Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord. And I would hope that is the, uh, the hallmark of all people who claim to have the Bible as their sole uh, infallible uh, rule of faith and practice. But he goes on to note that there are deficiencies within this movement as in, in regards to defective ecclesiology, truncated doctrinal sense, lack of devotion to Mary and the saints, the absence of sacramental life, their mistaken notion of, in, of inerrancy, and the absence of interest in ecumenism and social justice. And there again, I would say, hopefully a hallmark of someone who claims their allegiance to Jesus Christ and his words only uh, does lead to a lack of devotion to Mary and the saints and a lack of uh, interest in ecumenism and social justice as well as uh, a truncated doctrinal sense, meaning that there is no other doctrinal position or no other doctrinal adherence uh, outside of scripture, outside of the word of God given to us because the word of God tells us we need to put our faith in Christ. The word of God tells us that we need to be submitted to our elders and our leaders and the teachers that God has placed over us. The Bible tells us that we need to be loving our, our wives as we, if you're a husband and, and submitting to our husbands if you're a wife and, and training our children up in the way that they should go according to the law of God. All of these things are found within the word of God so that we don't need any other tradition or any other quote-unquote universal church out there teaching us how we must think, how we must behave, because the word of God tells us exactly these things. And so uh, Pope John Paul II, who was the pope before Pope Benedict and then now Pope Francis, uh, he said Catholics should, quote, resist the temptation to place one's personal interpretation above or even in opposition to the authentic interpretation of God's word that belongs exclusively to the bishops of the church to the bishops of the church in union with the Pope. So clearly he's saying that if anybody holds a position that is uh, against what the Catholic Church teaches, they, sh they shouldn't be doing that. That's the wrong path to go with. So they, he is setting himself up and his bishops and, and their teaching as the infallible rule by which, and the authoritative rule by which every other uh, professing Christian should adhere to. And obviously that is not the case, and we'll see that as we continue on here. Another um, uh, uh, loyalist of the Catholic Church, John O'Donohue, who was a Catholic priest and he, he turned into a philosophical writer and poet later on in his life before he died, he says this, quote, the seeds of, fundamental, of fundamentalism may often be discovered in an, in an insecure childhood. By fundamentalism, I understand a habit of mind which fears the new and unfamiliar and invests some outward structure or theory with the unquestioned authority which it sought in vain as a child in an unreliable mother. Fundamentalism is infantilism, and the only adequate response to the fundamentalist is to invite him or her to grow up painful or even agonizing though this process must always be and as you can see there the sarcasm and the belittling of people who actually believe that the word of god is sufficient to live and to operate in this world he's saying that fundamentalism is something that is infantile that is something for children and they need to grow up out of their trust in the word of god alone for their salvation for their hope and for their lives um, this is clearly antithetical to what the bible teaches and you'll see that more and more as I as I go through the statement that is given to us by uh, this Archbishop John Whelan, who spearheaded this project. So here's the letter, quote, this is a statement of concern to our Catholic brothers and sisters who may be attracted to biblical fundamentalism without realizing its serious weaknesses. 
We Catholic bishops, speaking as a special committee of the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, desire to remind our faithful of the fullness of Christianity that God has provided in the Catholic Church. And you would think that the fullness of Christianity is in Christ and in his word. As Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. If you believe on me, you will not die in your sins. And uh, all that we have for life and godliness is given to us in the word of God. But they're saying that the fullness of Christianity God has provided in the Catholic Church, not in the sufficient word of God. God's own word is not enough to keep people and, and uh, keep people saved and give them the fullness of Christianity according to what this archbishop is saying. So the letter continues and it says, Fundamentalism indicates a person's general approach to life, which is typified by unyielding adherence to rigid doctrinal and ideological positions, an approach that affects the individual social and political attitudes as well as religious ones. And again, I say here, I would say, amen, exactly. The Bible should be our guide to how we think, speak, behave, and operate. And just for a few verses uh, to back that up in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, the psalmist talks about how the word of God is sufficient to lead us into what is right and what is good. Psalm 19, 7 through 9, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. So here we see that the law of the Lord is perfect, even enough to convert the soul, convert the, the soul to, to the truth of God. And it's sure and it makes wise the simple. Those, the statutes of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eye. So all of these, uh, the word of God brings light, it brings sufficiency, it brings conversion even to the dead, the dead soul who does not have a faith in the Lord. It, and it even shows us that the word of God endures forever, that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. So we don't need anything else other than those statutes and the commandments of the Lord because they are perfect, they're whole, and they are able to bring wisdom to those of us, all of us really, who need spiritual wisdom, spiritual light. If you read the word of God, you will get that spiritual nourishment, that spiritual light. In John 17, 17, in Jesus' high priestly, high priestly prayer, he says uh, that he's talking to his father, the father uh, God. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if you want to live a holy lifestyle and elsewhere, Paul will say that the will of God is our sanctification. And if you want sanctification, Jesus says that it's through his truth. And the truth is the word, the word of God. And of course, the classic passage on the sufficiency of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, where Paul writes, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for all good works. So there we see clearly that the Word of God is profitable not just for teaching and for reproof and correcting, but it's also profitable for instruction, giving us the ability to have the capacity to fulfill all the good works that God has called us to do. As Ephesians 2 tells us that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So the Bible is sufficient and is and it, and it is enough for us to walk in accordance with the Word of God and with the will of God so that we can uh, fulfill the good works that God has prepared for us to do. 
so the letter, the statement continues and it says uh, that um, fundamentalism in this sense is found in non-Christian religions and can be doctrinal as well as biblical. But in this statement, we are speaking only of biblical fundamentalism presently attractive to some Christians, including some Catholics. And I would make a clear distinction there that I don't think Catholics are Christians by virtue of the fact that they teach a gospel that is not found within Scripture. If they teach a gospel that is that is antithetical to the grace and the mercy and the justification by faith that God provides uh, uh, in Christ Jesus. So I don't think I can, at least my own conscience, really cannot call a Catholic a Christian because they have a gospel that is completely different and really antithetical to what the true gospel uh, teaches within the Bible. So the, the statement continues and it says, Biblical fundamentalists are those who present the Bible God's inspired word as the only necessary source for teaching about Christ in Christian living. And again, I would say, amen. Yes, this the Bible does teach uh, and that is really the only necessary source for teaching about Christ in Christian living. And if you go back to that second Timothy passage, if you go up to second Timothy three verses 14 and 15, it says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of knowing from whom thou hast learned them. And that from childhood thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling Timothy there that the holy scriptures are able to make you wise to, unto faith in Christ Jesus. So of course, if they're able to, if they're able to save you, uh, of course the scriptures are also able to uh, to show you how to live a holy lifestyle, a life that is pleasing to God, as we just read in Psalms that the laws of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So it doesn't need any help from external sources of revelation or mechanisms or traditions that uh, uh, that will uh, that claim to aid the Christian in living a life that is pleasing uh, to God. And so the statement continues and it says uh, that the, this insistence on the teaching Bible is usually accompanied by a spirit that is warm, friendly and pious. Such a spirit attracts many, especially idealistic young converts. So here they're saying that this kind of warm spirit, pious, friendly spirit, which again, I hope is what is the demeanor of all of us who teach the Bible and adhere to the Bible. Uh, they're saying this, this really is attracting people who are young and idealistic, who really don't know any better. And um, but again, if we go back to what the, the Bible says regarding the word of God and the testimonies of God. We see in Psalm 119, verses 99 to 100, Paul, uh, the writer of Psalms is saying that, uh, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. So the psalmist is saying here that I have better knowledge and understanding and wisdom than people who ought to be teaching me these things because I'm adhering to the word of God. So for this archbishop to say that these idealistic young converts are being swayed by people who are holding to the Bible, when the Bible itself is saying that if you adhere to me, you adhere to the teachings that you'll know more than those who are supposed to be teaching you, he is just undermining his own case because the Bible itself is saying that if you adhere to it, you will know more than your teachers. You will know more than those who are over you. You will understand more and have more wisdom than those who should know more by virtue of their age. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verses 37, Paul is writing, obviously, to the Corinthians, and he says uh, that if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the, that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. So Paul is saying there that if you are not willing to submit yourself to the commands that I'm writing unto you because these commands are from the Lord, that you are just showing yourself to be ignorant, to be un. Uh, uh, to be without knowledge, to not uh, be uh, willing to, to not be willing to submit yourself to the law of God, to the scriptures, to the his commandments, you are showing yourself to be deficient in your knowledge, in your understanding. In 1 Timothy 1, again, Paul writes verses 3 through 5, as I besought thee when I went into Macedonia to abide still at Ephesus, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which promote, which promote questions rather than godly edifying in the faith, so do. Now the aim of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart with a good conscience and, and with faith unfeigned. So Paul is saying there that you adhere to no other doctrine what, other than what I have given to you by the authority of Jesus Christ. And when you adhere to these things, you're not going to get caught up in genealogies and, and, and fables and all kinds of other things that don't lead to godly edifying. But he does say that the aim of your adherence to this commandment is to have true charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and true faith. So if somebody is going to base their lives on what the word of God says and walk in obedience to what Paul is saying here, that at the end of that commandment, if you, that the goal of that commandment is to bring a charity out of a pure heart, love out of a pure heart, and, have, and having a good conscience. So you're not going to have a guilty conscience. And more than that, your faith will be a true faith. It will be a faith unfeigned. It will be a, a faith that is genuine, that is pure in the eyes of God. So to say that uh, young idealistic converts are being swayed by the, for, the warm and friendly and pious nature of, of fundamentalism as if it's something that is infantile, as we just read earlier from this other uh, Catholic priest, is really uh, uh, sad to see that you know, people who are higher up within the Catholic Church would be thinking in such a way. So the statement continues and it says, with ecumenical respect for these communities, we acknowledge their proper emphasis on religion as influencing family life and workplace. And as a goal, obviously, of the Catholic Church is to, is to ecumenize, <laughs> ecumenize pretty much everybody under its umbrella. Um, they are <clears throat> undermining their case, at least in this respect, because they are not, they are showing that um, they want to give respect to the fundamentalists, but also they're going to literally tear the, <laughs> try to tear them down and tear down the case for believing in the Bible as the sole infallible rule of faith and practice. And so the statement continues and it says the immediate attractions are the ardor of the Christian community and the promises of certitude and of a personal conversion experience to the person of Jesus Christ without the need of church. And I would say that the immediate attractions are are well founded within the scripture where, where he talks about the ardor of the Christian community. I think Second Peter 1 5 talks about how the goal of Christian living really is to be diligent, to be active in pursuing Christ and becoming like him and, and how we live. And Peter writes this in Second Peter 1 verse 5, he says, and besides this, using all diligence as your faith virtue into virtue knowledge, into knowledge temperance, into temperance patience, into patience godliness, into godliness brotherly kindness, 
and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, or Peter is saying here that if you are engaged in diligent and temperate and patient behavior within your lifestyle as a Christian, you will be fruitful in the knowledge of Christ and in the knowledge of Christ. And by having the knowledge of Christ, you will live a life that is pleasing to God. And the other issue, the other attraction that this Catholic uh, bishop is saying is uh, promises of certitude, which again, Jesus gives us those promises of certitude in John 8, verses 31 to 32, where he says, uh, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So of course, the promise of certitude is there because the Bible gives us that promise of certitude and because Jesus himself gives us that promise of certitude that if we continue in his word, if we walk in obedience to his word, if we continue to do the word that God has called us to do, then we will be his true disciples. And if we are his true disciples, then we will know what is true. We will have certitude of knowing the truth. And that truth will free us uh, from the shackles of sin and from the shackles of human philosophy and give us the freedom to know God and to serve him in a way that is pleasing unto him, which ultimately ultimately is how we should be determining our lifestyle. Is it pleasing to us or is it pleasing to God? And so another immediate attraction from this Catholic bishop of fundamentalism is saying that uh, personal conversion experience to Christ. And of course, that is what we all should have and hope to have or should hope to have. And that's given to us clearly in John three sixteen, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So whoever believes in Christ should not perish and have eternal life. That is a personal experience. And I don't think uh, it could get any more personal than how Paul summed it up in Galatians 2, verse 20, where he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to Paul, it was a personal experience. Christ's death on the cross was a personal substitutionary death for Paul. And in his understanding, obviously his understanding and his words here are the inspired word of God, that it was a personal uh, event that took place on the cross, that Jesus dying on the cross wasn't just some general death for anybody, but it was a general death for those, or for it was a specific death for those who believe. And if you believe on Christ, you will have a personal conversion experience to him. You will love him. You'll want to serve him. You'll, you'll want to become like him. And you'll want to walk in obedience to him because of his sacrificial death on the cross for you if you believe. So, of course, a personal conversion experience to Christ, that is true. That is right about biblical fundamentalism. And that's what we should preach, knowing that if you serve Christ, it won't just be this ethereal experience, but it'll be a true, genuine, born-again experience where you will have a desire to please God, to walk in his ways, and to have communion with him through prayer and through his word. And of course, through your brothers and sisters in your local church. So the statement continues and it says that. Um, but it says without the need of church, which obviously is a straw man, because every biblical fundamentalist will tell you or true. I would say somebody who truly holds the Bible seriously will tell you that the local church is necessary uh, as part of your Christian experience, that you should want to be part of a local church. You should want to be part of uh, a body of believers who are also striving to become like Christ, which is why 
if you are not part of a local church, if you don't desire to be part of a local church, I think there is something deficient about your faith. And it may not even be a genuine faith if you're not willing to be uh, in the in the fold of a local body. Because I think if you are, then you would if you are truly saved, you desire to be with people who are also uh, united to Christ because you yourself are united to them who are also united uh, to Christ. So the statement continues and it says, as Catholic pastors, however, we note its presentation of the Bible as a single rule for living. According to fundamentalism, the Bible alone is sufficient. And again, I say, amen. amen. That's true. The Bible alone is sufficient. It's, it is all that we need to know Christ and, and to know his word and to become like him. We don't need anything else other than the scripture because the scripture tells us all that we need. And so we don't need tradition. We don't even need uh, external revelation or any kind of external um, uh, uh, authority to tell us that the Bible uh, is sufficient because the Bible itself tells us that and the Bible is the word of God and the God does not lie. So the statement continues and it says that the, uh, there is um, according to fundamental, uh, there is no place for the universal teaching church, including its wisdom, its teachings, creeds and other doctrinal formulations. It's liturgical and devotional traditions. There is simply no claim to a visible audible, living teaching authority, binding the individual or congregations. And again, I think this is one of those straw men. And again, if the universal teaching church means the Catholic church, then I would say, yeah, there is no place for the, the Catholic church, uh, according to the word of God, because again, they teach a gospel that is antithetical to what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught. So for a church to say that there's no place for them when there should be a place for them, when their position is antithetical to the gospel that the church is founded on, then they are <laughs> confused and they ought to reassess and re, um, re-examine their own position of what the gospel is and really abandon it because they're, they're, the gospel that they preach does not save and will not bring satisfaction. It will not bring a whole uh, true born-again experience to Christ because it's a gospel that can't do that because there's only one gospel that can bring a born-again experience to Christ and that is a gospel that God preaches through Christ, through his apostles, within found within the, the scriptures and, and in the scriptures alone. And they, he talked about traditions, which the Bible actually uses that word several times and usually with a negative connotation, especially within Matthew 15, verses 1 through 5, where Jesus is talking about how tradition is deadly and really goes against the authority of God. And in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9, Jesus says, or the passage says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also trans- transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say that whosoever shall say to his father or, or his mother, by whatsoever thou might have profited by me, it is a gift. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus, again, here is is condemning 
the act of elevating tradition to or above the word of God. And he is saying here that people who do this are hypocrites. They, they have a, an allure of, of uh, fealty to God and allure of loyalty to his word and to, and to Christ. But Jesus is saying here, they do, they're all, the, all the, the things that they are doing, they're doing it in vain. They're doing it uh, in a way that is elevating their own doctrines, their own commandments to the word of God because they want to assert themselves as equal authority to God, which is what man is always trying to do. And we see that obviously going all the way back to Genesis 3. And Paul later writing about tradition in Colossians 2, verse 18, he, he, he writes, Let no man beguile you of your reward by feigned humility and worshiping of angels, uh, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, being vainly puffed up, by his fleshly mind. So again, those things are not things that we should be adhering to uh, when men are doing things of their own accord and elevating their own traditions to um, to the word of God. And Paul elsewhere talks about how he doesn't like, uh, you know, he says to beware of people who are trying to spoil you through vain philosophy and empty tradition and not after the, not after the word of God. And so back to that pastoral statement, Paul, uh, or this archbishop is, uh, continues and he says that there is no claim to a visible, audible, living teaching authority binding the individual or congregations. And again, I would say, well, there is an audible, there is a visible, audible, living teaching authority binding the individual or congregation. That's the Bible. I mean, the Bible is the visible, audible, living teaching authority because we, by, by it, we're able to uh, read the word of God <laughs> so we can see it. We can hear the word of God read when we hear our pastors preaching it or ourselves reading it out loud or, or listening to a, a tape of a, or a, um, a podcast or a video of somebody preaching it. And uh, so, and the word of God itself is living as it says in Hebrews 4 verse 12. Paul writes, or the writer of Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is, and is it a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So of course the Bible is living and it is active and it does do the work that God sends it to accomplish and it can go even inside the soul of a man and divide and pierce the conscience and pierce the heart and cause people to be born again as the Bible elsewhere tells us that we are begotten again by the word of truth. And so um, we'll continue going through this statement and talking about it and, and really trying to clearly establish that the Bible is the authority and that we don't need tradition, we don't need any other external uh, source of divine uh, revelation because the Bible alone is sufficient for how we ought to live and move and, uh, and operate in the world that God has given us. So thank you for listening on this episode of Do Loss, and I will see you on part two on the problem with biblical fundamentalism.